I'll say, tell me some of your positive traits, tell me some of your negative traits. And the room always fills with silence because adults in their life haven't really spoken spoken those words over them, so they don't have the words. And so I do want to encourage families to like speak to children about who they are, like the Lord speaks to us about who we are, right through scripture, so that they can say that and know that, especially when they encounter um, aspects in the culture and the voice of the enemy who's gonna be ready to speak to them about traits with themselves that they have, are armored with something different. Hey everyone, welcome to the Catholic Link Show. We are super excited today to have Sister Josephine Garrett on the show. And if you guys have not seen Sister Josephine, um, she is blowing up the internet <laughs> right now. And um, she's the sister of the Holy Family of Nazareth, a licensed counselor uh, in Tyler, Texas. She is a Catholic speaker and a brand new author that we are going to talk about, which we are very for, but um, she has just been given a lot of talks at Steubenville conferences on form.org, the Given Institute, Ascension, OSV, I mean, like, you name it, Sister Josephine is there. And uh, we're really excited, especially because we um, are parents, and a lot of our listeners are parents or want to be parents and trying to raise their kids Catholic, and like, how do we do this thing? So, uh, Sister, first of all, just welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Happy to be with you. I love parents, as we were sharing before we get start, got started. I have a heart for parents and all the, yeah, all that's before you. <laughs> and just <laughs> enjoy it. It's a joy to accompany parents, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, sister, we would love to just give our listeners a little bit of background if they haven't seen you, which you're everywhere, and so you're awesome. <laughs> but uh, kind of your story of how you ended up as a counselor, as a sister. As a Catholic. I didn't grow up Catholic. I'm a Texan. And uh, when I meet people from Texas, because when they see when they see a black nun, they assume I'm African. And so they'll say, where are you from? And I'll say Houston. And they're like, no, where's your family from? And I'm like, Houston. <laughs> and so they'll say, so you're a Texan? And I'll say, yes. And then oftentimes I'll hear after that, thank God. <laughs> Texan, so thank God I'm a Texan. Um, grew up in Houston, grew up Baptist, and um, I attended the University of Dallas. And there is where I came, became really captivated by the faith. I'm adopted, and so my aunt and uncle who raised me, my aunt grew up Catholic in a Caribbean country called Dominica. So I saw signs of the faith in her growing up that now I understand, now that I'm Catholic. Um, she had a Catholic prayer life. Um, even though we went to Baptist church. And so when I got to University of Dallas, I had the opportunity to become, like get a real sense of the faith. Um, and then when I graduated, I wanted to be a woman who lived my faith sincerely and was shocked to find a desire to do that as a Catholic woman. Um, so I became Catholic a couple of years after graduating from UD. And then was working in banking, I was a vice president, climbing the ladder, you know, just wanted all the titles. And then I had a chance to go back to Rome. I uh, got a spiritual director after that experience, was learning to pray. And, you know, when we pray, we let God speak and God said, let's go be a sister. And I was so shocked. <laughs> Like, I didn't give you permission to say those types of things, Lord. Um, so, uh, I discerned for two years with the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. I was introduced to them by a friend um, who wanted to be in my community, and I was later her maid of honor. Um, and so, which is beautiful. 
and have been with us in the community 12 years now. Professed my final vows in 2020. It was a COVID wedding, November of 2020. And um, when I left the novitiate in 2015, I entered school to be a counselor. My sisters affirmed that in me. So we were in discernment about how I would minister after the novitiate because I wasn't going to go back to the bank. And um, that at that time, we discerned the ministry of being a counselor, which many sisters in my community have that ministry. Uh, and so it's just been a joy. It's been just a joy. I've been supported by the sisters all along the way. I don't think I would have finished graduate school successfully if I hadn't done that as a sister, <laughs> like with the supportive community. Um, and now I serve as a counselor in Tyler, Texas, in our cathedral grade school as a school counselor part time. And then part-time in a private practice where I see teenagers and adults. So. Oh, what a gift. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And I know we, we were talking uh, before we started recording that uh, Sister Josephine just uh, sent off her final vision of a version, final version of her new book uh, on hope. And that's going to be published by OSV. It's ready for pre-order and we'll put the link in the description. But I am so curious, sister, like in a world in the world that we live in right now um and you just open up the news and it's like depressing even just looking at that like what what do we have to hope for i mean why even write a book about hope i have so many questions so just just tell me all of it yeah so when um you are a man of prayer <laughs> because you are forcing me to talk about like what's present in my prayer today versus like the you know the cancer you y'all are praying people but like <laughs> so my spirit is present um so the first time i was approached to write a book it was from these ladies in new york from a talent agency it was a talent agency that manages samuel l jackson and regina bell like among others okay and they reached out to me because i was on this podcast that the sisters had approved for me to be on. They thought it would be good evangelization. What I did not know when I went on the podcast is like a million people listen to it every week. And so, <laughs> like, I was getting all these emails from people and I was like, why are these people writing me? And then I realized a lot of people just heard me on this podcast talking about the Eucharist, you know? And um, so these women reached out and they said, you know, we're not we're not even very religious, but we think you should write a book about your life. Um, and I, you know, was like, I, I cannot work with a New York talent agency to write a book. Like that's just not gonna match up with my values and my life, sweeties. I love y'all, and the Lord loves you, but it's not gonna be a match. And so, <laughs> so we said no. Um, but then, like that, opened my heart to the possibility. And so, OSV, some other people approached, and then OSV did. And it was that same tone of like, do a memoir, which that just was like, not attractive to me, you know, just to sit and talk about, you know, talk about my life, like Sophia from uh, Golden Girls, you know, picture it. And so I just was like, I can't. And so then the invitation was to reflect on a theme and tell stories to enliven the theme. And that very much is, is me, you know, I think stories really help us enter into mysteries and kind of grab a hold of them. And so um, I was I was excited about that. And the theme of hope has been important to me throughout my formation. Um, and I explained in the book why I don't think if I if I had not been forced to reflect on hope, I would not have found my vocation. Um, and so 
there's a spiritual director who challenged me to reflect on hope and and challenged me to see that at that time in my life, I wasn't a woman of very much hope for various reasons. Um, and so that's how the book came about. But Drew, you ask, like, you know, it, it is, I think one of the reasons, that, for many reasons, my heart is has a t- uh, filled with compassion for families and for parents for many reasons. But one of them is that this age that you're raising children in um, is it's just uh, it's uncanny. <laughs> it's uncanny and it's tricky. And the things that will gather your children up into snares are subtle. They're not pronounced. They're not in your face. They are subtle, and so it takes so much discernment. And that can feel overwhelming. And so the message of the book is not a new message. Um, It's ever ancient, right? (laughs) And our hope is in Jesus. But I think that, especially as families, we need to hear that because this is a time and an age where the devil is winning on both sides we have created in the church. And so we create sides in the church and we create dichotomies in the church, liberal, conservative, right? Left and right. And we think that the devil has a preference for one or the other, but the devil has no preference. He simply wants to have you. And so what I'll see sometimes in families is this desperate love for your children and desperate desire for their salvation. And so we will run into the powers of men cloaked um, in the the external expressions of holiness. But we have to be discerning because just because it's cloaked in the external doesn't mean it's abiding internally. And so I just really think families need to make sure to stand with Christ, hope in Christ, and whatever folks happen to be there with Christ at any given time, yeah, be with them. And then when they depart, don't be with them. You know, and so I see just this, yeah, I see this tendency in our church, especially in the celebrity culture and the media culture that we're gathering around folks who we believe are going to help us safeguard our families. But the only safeguard for your family is Christ. The only safeguard is Christ. And so, um, yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> Oh, so much there. I, yeah. Wow. The challenge for us as parents to discern mm, where we are putting our help, I think. And the, like, you know, we homeschool. So like the curriculum that I'm choosing or the books that I'm reading to them or the, like, there is goodness there, but ultimately where am I just a channel to Jesus? Because they have a savior. It's not me. It's not that yes. book, it's not the Instagram yeah. account that I want to follow. Like it ultimately um, is only the Lord. The, yeah. Um, it's not the community that wrote the curriculum or the, you know, uh, and mm-hmm. just as quick as that place felt like a safeguard is as, as quick as it be, can become a near occasion of sin. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's man-made, you know? And so just, mm-hmm. I, I want to encourage families to always be discerning because the devil will have you on any side of that coin. And so, yeah, I, I think one of the devil's greatest tactics is to turn what is good and beautiful and true and twist it because he's not creative. And we've talked Mm -hmm. about this on like 
our vocation, that uh, my desire coveting of the religious vocation is a twisting of the devil in the goodness of being a parent. It's taking something that is beautiful, like your vocation is beautiful. But if I'm coveting that, if I'm looking to that, then I have degraded my own vocation where God has called me to. I've lost a sense of peace because I'm not seeing that this was his will for my life and the beauty in that. And I think it, but again, the devil's not creative. He's like, let me take something that's beautiful and just Freak. <laughs> and now everything's off. And oh, what a good reminder. I think in our community and in I, a lot of our listeners have been really focused on healing wounds mm-hmm. of their childhood, of, you know, just just life in general, what they inflicted mm-hmm. upon themselves, what other people inflicted, all of the above. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they look for hope I, in how they can help their children to not carry those generationally or Mm -hmm. to forgive themselves when they do inflict wounds on their kids. Uh, Any advice for parents as they journey through the hardness? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Try their hardest not to scar their children. (laughs) But they are. (laughs) You're going to scar your kids. Like, Lilith. You're gonna like it's, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. Like you're gonna struggle, you're gonna mess up. I tell people all the time, like if I have to choose, like if someone came to me as a clinician, even as a sister, like if I had to pick between the parent who always got it right or the parent who struggled and failed and repaired well, I'm choosing the second parent every day of the week and twice on Sunday because that parent is actually teaching their child how to be before the Lord right? Like how to get up and repair and go to confession and strive for virtue and go along the path. Like the person who has never fallen is actually without resilience. And like, I was reading a quote, if you don't, I hope it doesn't mess this up. I think I could pull it up. I was reading a quote. I had a class with our novices earlier and I was reading a quote to them from our mother foundress. And she speaks about this, about self-knowledge and like the joy we should have and the peace and the absence of grief when we discover our brokenness. So if you don't mind, I can I can read that to you. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Okay, and so I just, I read this to parents because the process of healing wounds is a process of self-knowledge and like growing in truth before God. Like that's mm-hmm. what we heal for, to grow in truth before God and to also be in more sincere relationship with ourselves, with our families, with the communities we abide in. And then of course with God. And so Mother Founder said, self-knowledge only enables the soul to stand before God in truth. Yet self-knowledge ought not bring about discouragement, pain, and grief, which are the sure signs of pride, conceit, and exaggerated self-sufficiency. She says, to the contrary, it ought to inspire great peace, confidence, and fortitude. Once we admit by divine grace our defects, sinfulness, and weakness, we shall the sooner and more securely attain to God and to a life of virtue. Since virtue depends upon the recognition of our helplessness and upon profound humility, mm-hmm. it will develop deeper roots and will thrive more vigorously. And she says, your efforts, dear sister, should tend in that direction, namely to come to know yourself, but doing this as peacefully, serenely, hopefully, and simply as a child in relation to its mother. Let not your faults and failures surprise you. Do not become indignant over them. Rest assured that the Lord is pleased a thousandfold more 
by a soul who is susceptible to many falls, but who knowing her weakness turns to God in humility than by another who is less prone to fall and is seemingly more perfect, but is self-confident and self-sufficient. So when I fall and I run to the Lord, like, you know, and I, I repair and I apologize and I amend um, and I restore, like I'm, our children are taught a far greater truth than had I been seemingly perfect. And so that's the first thing I want to say to parents about um, wounds. And then I have a couple others, but I want to pause. Yeah. God, man, there's so, there's so much to, to tease out of that. I was, I was just thinking as you were reading that the, uh, how really like the virtue is just the mean between two extremes. And it's like the devil lies on each side of that. Kind of like you were saying, um, and very much so in, in virtue where you look at when you get self-knowledge, then you go, wow, I am a terrible, wretched person. And that's probably true. However, what the devil can take that and go, yeah, you are terrible. Look how awful you are. You think you're so good, but look at all these terrible, right? And he just tears you down. Um, and then when you see things that are good in you, you're like, wow, I do have like a skill or a knack for this. And the devil's like, look how awesome. Oh, you're so like, you know, he just like builds you up and the pride, pride, pride is you, you, you awesome. Um, and it's so funny because the answer to both of those, the antidote to both of those is humility. And you go, you go, yes, I am a terrible, wretched sinner. And, but God is the one who's going to help me get better at that. Mm. And I still need a savior. So I'm in a good place. Um, <laughs> and, then, yeah, yeah. and then on the other side where you're like, no, I am, I, I do have skills and, but God has given me those. Yeah. And so I'm going to use those for God. And so the answer yeah. is humility. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. do, do you have any other, like, just pick apart a little bit what you had just said or just anything that comes to mind with, uh, yeah, just kind of just living that out. Yeah. So I guess the main thing is to encourage parents to not feel shame when dealing with your own wounds, because at an appropriate amount for your kids to understand that you struggle and you're growing and you're striving to grow in virtue, it's a gift to your children to like have some view into that dynamic, not all. Um, I want to caution because we are in this uptick in the church where, you know, we're talking healing and wounds and I'm seeing more and more being written and more folks wanting to explore that. And it's good, but always for the purpose of facing toward community and serving, right? And entering more sincerely into relationship with the folks that God has put in our life. I think sometimes we can navel gaze and get a little... Tell me what heresy it is. I'm not a theologian, but there's one of these heresies where it's like a subtle, I save myself. Is it Jansenism? I'm not sure which one. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds uh, right. Sure. <laughs> the theologian who watches this will correct us in the comments. Yeah, right. <laughs> Comment below. But it's this, it's so we want to be careful because you can't navel gaze yourself into wholeness. Like Jesus is the healer, you know, and so, so just to be careful with that, not to become obsessive um, in, in the healing process and the dealing with our wounds, identify them, do what we need to do, which can include, you know, spiritual direction and counseling and counselors who have the skills, you know, and the training 
So not always a life coach is going to have those skills, like counselors who have the right skills and training for the wounds that you're trying to address. And then um, knowing that the timeline and what that looks like belongs to the Lord. And so if it's not coming as quickly as you want, it, it may not be because you need to navel gaze harder. It just may be, you know, to wait, <laughs> wait on the Lord. You know, I've got some wounds that I'm so, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm looking at that tabernacle like, how are we still here? Like, <laughs> like I've done the things I needed to do. I've asked for the healing, Lord. I have prayed, you know, but I'm, I call to mind, you know, St. Paul, who he says he prayed, you know, for that thorn to be removed from his side. But, you know, God's grace is sufficient for me and power is made perfect in weakness. And so just remember that, like, healing of wounds is a mystery and it's not 100% like, um, a mathematical equation like if i put in these inputs i'm going to get these outputs mm -hmm. and that's super frustrating as a pilot who likes checklists <laughs> and if i do steps one through ten i'm healed right yeah I, but i think on the theme of hope that that's an important thing for somebody to hear who feels like they've done the checklist and hasn't had the healing or the healing hasn't felt like it's lasted and the lord is mm -hmm. calling deeper and all of these different elements of it that sometimes he he leaves that thorn um and then on the flip side the the getting almost addicted to this healing like where's the next wound and like let me go into this and let me like almost yeah and do you see like clients that you're like you're you're ready to go and like live out the healing that you've received and there's almost this like i but i have more problems like i, I need more we don't do a lot of that in my office i see a lot of, <laughs> a lot of that in the church i'm not doing that with y'all i see a lot of that in the church but we're not doing that in my office like it's, no. it's <laughs> because you also have to give this healing legs you know, and so I talk about this actually in the book that like, I actually don't think there's any healing that's instantaneous. So even when someone receives a miraculous healing, they have to learn to live it and grow into it and give it legs. And so that's a healing process, right? Like when a blind man learns to see, he's got to learn to live seeing. Yeah. <laughs> and when a lame man learns to walk, he's got to learn what it's like to live walking. And that's like a healing process, especially like the guy by the pool you know, at the five porticos, who Jesus says, like, do you want to be healed? He had been laying there sick for 38 years. And so if he did that for 38 years, it's going to take him some time to live into that healing, like after he picks up his mat. And so um, when my clients, when we've done what we needed to do in the counseling room, I want them to go let that get legs, you know? And then as you let it have legs and live, and, you know, Gaudium says the church document, it's, it's joy and hope is what that means. And it's a main document of the Catholic Church. And it says that we cannot understand ourselves except in the sincere gift of ourselves. And so without community, we can't even really live the healing. You know, we've got to go out and live it. And so I think you're absolutely right that there can become an obsession with digging around in these wounds. And there's, I think there's a real danger in that. I agree with that. Yeah, I love that you bring up that quote because it's in your new podcast, but it's also like just such a um, hard hitting. I will never forget. I was in Germany. We were there 
stationed living there and I was in a women's group and we read that quote for the first time and it stopped the group. And just like, I to find yourself, you must be a gift, but that is so radically different than our culture. That's like, what is it for me? Yeah. Do this for me and I will do something for you. It's a very like basic. And so this idea of becoming a gift for the other is such a different totally different place. Um, and so thank you for bringing that quote because I think it's something that each one of us needs to spend more time reflecting on. Um, I wanted to ask you actually a practical question, going back like four questions, uh, but the idea of your vocation when your spiritual director asked you to spend time meditating on hope, practically, how do we grow the virtue of hope? Like how do we, what, what, what did you go and read or what did you go and sit with or what was, what did that process look like for you? I mean, the very first thing I did that helped me kind of enter into a journey on growing the virtue of hope was to pray with God. Like I prayed the prayer, God, what did you make me for? Right. And this kind of like took me into like vocational discernment prayer, but I actually think we could probably pray that prayer each day. Like, God, would you, what did you make this day for me for, you know, and be attentive. Um, I also had to um, like refine my understanding of discernment and that helped me to get practical about hope. So like sometimes I really wish we could put in the trash this notion that discernment is a thing for vocations. It's not, it's actually like, the tool we use to like have awareness of how proximate God is to us in every moment of each day. So that's what that tool is, discernment. And so like going throughout the day with an awareness of God, I think actually does sharpen the virtue of hope that like God is active in this day in the ordinary ways. We speak about this in the constitutions of our community. There's a quote that says, we search for the faith we search for the transcendent and faith dimension in the midst of our ordinary experiences. And so we can do that with the simple practice of gratitude, because whatever I'm grateful for in my ordinary experiences is gift from God. Right. And then also um, what has helped to sharpen the virtue of hope in me is to like identify those character defects and wounds and like, in a very real way, like in, in prayer, um, place them in a tomb, like so that they can participate in the resurrection. And so I just think intentionally doing that, like saying like, Lord, I see this in myself. I place it in the tomb. I place it in your crucified body, you know, that will go into the tomb, that has gone into the tomb and risen. Um, and like with praying those simple prayers as we become aware of those character defects as they interplay in our daily life. Um, and like praying that like, Lord, I, I place this in your body. Um, I place this in the tomb so that I can participate in the resurrection and be made new and be transformed. And um, so gratitude, sincerely surrendering our character defects to the Lord, asking God what he made us for in this day, um, and broadening our scope of discernment, I think are some practical ways to like sharpen the virtue of hope because the virtue of hope is a waiting virtue and they that wait are made strong because it's heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah, I and I, I think going back to what you said before about stories, I think we've, we've really lost the narrative theme of our life 
um, and we don't know where that fits in. And when and we love we humans, we love stories. We love the good versus evil, the hero, right? And like, I think for a lot of our listeners, something that I would love to tell everyone, whether you're discerning the religious life or married life or you have kids or whatever, is like God has this plan for you, and it's an epic story and you are the you are the hero you're the main character and like it is it is good it is virtuous to to engage in this battle and you're gonna fall and you're gonna you're gonna take hits and like but that i don't i we just i think when we lose that we lose our like what's it all for what's it all about you know it doesn't even matter type thing and and you spiral down really quickly but when you put it into this framework of of story and then it because it gives you purpose it gives you hope and then you have faith that like no god has a plan for me and it's, it's an amazing plan god god wants great amazing things for me and maybe that just means scrubbing the dishes for the hundredth millionth time that my kids leave out and it's like no that that is beautiful because and yeah i don't know i just there's so much goodness in that um but i did want to ask uh, kind of just a practical question. And, um, you know, we've, we've talked to people about this before and it's a really tough question to answer, but it's about, um, counseling and when you know that you need counseling. So take, for example, you've got, um, younger kids, maybe you don't have access to like a school counselor or they're just below the age where, um, they're able to go to, to grade school and they're acting up. And you're like, I've tried, I've listened to some things. I've tried some methods. Unfortunately, kids are not like airplanes either. I can't just run the checklist and then they do <laughs> what I want them to do. Um, so like how, uh, what would you recommend for people of how do I know if, um, how do I know if I need counseling as a parent? How do I know if my child needs counseling or how do we know, or is there like a both and how does that work? It's just okay. a phase. Yeah. Or is it a phase? Yeah. Like, oh, it'll yeah. go next week, they'll grow out of it. Yeah. So with like the younger end of children, we have this phrase that we say to each other as counselors. And I think we probably just need to start saying it more publicly. But like I've been handed files before, like when I was working at the advocacy center here and they would say it's a seven year old. So it's parenting. Or it's a six year old. So it's parenting. And we don't go into the counseling room and say this is really painful. <laughs> like, we pretend like we're seeing your child. <laughs> But really, it's parenting. <laughs> like, I think we just need to be more honest about that as clinicians, that when we're bringing, especially smaller children, it's got to be the team because it's very difficult for the child to hold and integrate these interventions without constant reinforcement from the adults gathering around them. And so um, when it's smaller children, it's really all of you are presenting to counseling. And... Um, the counselor will join with your child to give your child another resource that's very different from a parent. We, when we're when we're working with children, we're suspended in the space as counselor that's not friend and not parent, and so it's a unique space that we suspend in, and so we can help your family in that way. And so we want to join with your child and see your child individually, and 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 help your family in that way. But the parents of younger children who are presenting to counselor do need to also spend some time on the couch so that those you can receive those interventions as well and help the child live them in life um, and like share them at the school or whatever with the other adults who are supporting that child. Um, so when the children are younger, it gets a little different with teens. Um, 
with the teens, I will spend less time with parents. And with teens, my time with parents is oftentimes the parent and the teen are in the office with me because the trust is the feature that allows for the therapeutic relationship to create change for the client. And so um, having that with adolescence becomes a little, it's a different dynamic. Um, when I, I have like this three pronged approach that I teach ministers and it's one, like I have a presence of symptom severity. So like these symptoms are getting severe and you know you have severity when you're starting to have significant disruption in one of your primary domains in life. So either in your family life, your social life with your friends, or for kids, it's like their school commitments, right? Their educational commitments. If they were older, you know, it'd be like your job commitments. If you're starting to have like serious difficulty completing the tasks in those domains, like being a loving member of this family, treating your friends with respect and kindness, not getting your, you know, getting your chores done or getting your schoolwork done or performing as would be expected for your ability with schoolwork. If we started an uptick in severity there of symptoms to where one of those domains is really dropping out, you've got one check, like, okay, we may need some counseling. And then if it has duration, so like they've got this, these symptoms are present, it's at its level of severity where it's impacting their functioning in this major domain of life. And it's been going on for a while and it's not getting better and it's getting worse. So when you have those pieces lining up, you wanna check in with a counselor to see like, is there something more we can be doing? Let the counselor evaluate, is this a phase? Or do we have like some symptoms or a diagnosis that we wanna learn about and start to address. Um, so that, that would be my advice. So when you are handed that folder and it's like the parenting, how do you work with parents on the lack of shame and the like not entering into shame and entering into hope that by bringing their child, they're actually like moving that way? I don't know. Uh, how, do, how does that conversation go? Yeah, I really try to assure parents like, again, I'm, I'm so sincere when I say I have had working at St. Gregory Cathedral School and just in this community in, in general has given me the deepest respect for families and parents. And so I just I try to convey that first, that like I respect your family. This isn't a place where I'm going to judge you like because I'm not a parent, so I can't project my own stuff on you as <laughs> a parent. Um, and to make sure that parents understand that the task of parenting is not to be perfect. The task of parenting is more about being present. Like if I were to give a, a characteristic to the task of parenting, it's more about presence than perfection. And so um, just to kind of say like, you can be present like that, we, we can do that, right? We cannot achieve perfection. And so to equip them in that way. And then I really make sure to let parents communicate their values to me. Like, what is it that you want to achieve to make sure that like, I'm not preaching at them, like what they need to achieve in their family or, you know, or like, um, so that they can come and say like, this is what I hope for for my child. And then I'm drawing stuff from my toolbox that's gonna help them reach that, you know, versus me like imposing. So like to make sure that they are strengthened in their authority as parents and not like degraded, like in in their, like they're equipped to 
and live that authority that was given to them by God. I also do visit with their child and I have like child tools to help children articulate their goals for therapy, like for virtue. And so I'll share that with the parents as well and like say like, your child got goals. Like, and so we want to integrate this as treatment and like um, make sure that we're helping them pursue their goals because they all, I've never, I have never not had a child communicate to me a virtuous and beautiful goal using these those interventions. And so just to make sure that parents can hear that and it be integrated into like their desires as well. And then um, I am very open to the slowness of it all. And that's why one of the reasons I love being a school counselor is because I get to hold that space, you know, sometimes members of the faculty at schools, they want things now, they want change now. And that's not how family life works. You know, there's a chapter in the book, it says the Eucharist is the slow work of God. There's a whole chapter in the book about the Eucharist, like our relationship with the Eucharistic Lord being a slow work. So we cannot rush families because families are literally the place where Christ chose to enter the world and where he still enters the world today. It's through the door of the family. And so when we rush family, in a sense, we're like rushing the Eucharistic Lord and like the work of the Eucharist in the world. And so I really try to like honor that it takes time. And so I'm very comfortable with it going slow with families and parents. And I think that helps them as well to be free. Um, so I've accomplished more going slow than pushing. Um, so I'll pause. Yeah, we're, we're laughing because we both want to say stuff because there are so many good things that were in that. Uh, I, I will just say one quick thing. I um, Recently, I read a quote that said, God is a God of process. Mm. And it really hit me. God is a God of process. Like it's not a quick hit, an instant fix. Mm -hmm. It's And, and that's, that's how he works. And, and either you... <laughs> Either you get on board with that and you realize that these healing, these relationships, these things, it's just going to take time mm. or you're going to get really frustrated with this whole faith and church thing. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, just, just, uh, as, uh, yeah, it's my healing, my family, virtue, all of it. It's going to take time. And that's again, contrary to current culture, which wants that instant gratification. And I think we are like, okay, well, if you were truly the God of the universe and I receive you into my body, I should miraculously be different and a better mom and be able to go home and like never lose my temper. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, Lord, you must not really be in that Eucharist because you didn't like instantaneously change me and what are we doing here? And so I think that there's um, – Yes, just such an importance in seeing that God's ways are beyond ours, that his thoughts are above ours, that the way he works is different than how I think it should go. Um, and I just, I love, like, and there have been multiple times in this conversation, just the invitation to surrender that mm -hmm. and the invitation to release what we cannot control and to a trusting the Lord in that process. Um to work for progress, not perfection, to this like idea I loved when you said the, the gift of presence mm. um, over perfection because I'm not a perfect mom and I fall and that's praise be to God for the gift of confession. Yeah. Um, but I can keep working for presence. I can keep working at putting my phone away. I can keep yeah. working yeah. at giving them yeah. quality one-on-one -on -one time. I can keep working on – just seeing them stopping what I'm doing, being there, um, putting aside to actually listen, um, stopping the multitasking, which is also yeah. our instantaneous 
culture faster, quicker, yeah. more, do it more. all. Um. I was, I was thinking, I was thinking about, um, when we die and we go to heaven, hopefully, uh, God willing. And, you know, you meet these amazing saints and they're like talking, telling stories about being persecuted by the Romans and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but you didn't have smartphones, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just and I don't like I, I say that I say that tongue-in-cheek jokingly but I but I do again I just want to encourage parents that that this is a heroic act that you are raising mm-hmm. your kid to love the Lord in a time like this and that is difficult and that is hard but you can do it we can do this yeah yeah and, I, and a time like this is actually like violent towards the Lord and towards the church, right? Like it's not just, it's no more, it's no longer passive or indifferent. It is violent towards the Lord. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think when you're sitting with these parents, I would love, you know, we have you. We're going to take advantage of it. Uh, What are like your number one, top three things that you wish like are tools that parents would or could implement? Um, I don't know, emotional regulation or like some 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 sort of help, help in this like help chaos <laughs> that's down there. <laughs> okay, so the number one that comes to mind, I think sometimes in the business of family life, we and I was just talking with our novices about this earlier. Um, a lot of times I'll ask young, uh, really usually be preteens or teens. I'll say, tell me some of your positive traits. Tell me some of your negative traits. And the room always fills with silence because the adults in their life haven't really spoken, spoken those words over them. So they don't have the words to know like what their positive traits are. And so I do want to encourage families to like speak to children about who they are. Like the Lord speaks to us about who we are right through scripture. And so to speak to our children about who they are, their traits, you know, so that they could say, say that and know that, especially when they encounter um, aspects in the culture and the voice of the enemy who's going to be ready to speak to them about traits with themselves that they have, are armored with something different. So to say, you know, and this isn't like affirmation, foo-foo stuff, but to say like, you know, I appreciate that you are such, you know, such an attentive person or traits, character traits. And so I'll have to print list of character traits and like hand them to my clients and have them highlight and ask me, what does that word mean? Oh, that's me, you know, and like, because it hasn't been spoken over them. And so that's one to really, you know, the positive traits of your children, but make sure to say it out loud um, so that yeah. they know it too. And then two, I think sometimes in the busyness of life, we get away from simple celebrations of like small victories, especially in the pursuit of the life of virtue. And so I have pom-poms in my office and my clients make fun of me and their parents make fun of me, but they can make fun of me all day. Like if I have a client who was having anger outbursts every single day, she goes a whole week without an outburst of anger in her family. Like she's coming in and we're shaking the pom-poms. <laughs> So if you think about it, like that's, that's a huge amount of progress, you know? And so it's like, well, we're making this progress and like, it's possible. And so just to pause and like be that annoying parent who's like, I see you growing and I'm so proud of you. And just to acknowledge that, um, again, that's probably the second thing. And it doesn't have to be, sometimes parents do too much where they're like, you know, I'm going to get you a new Nintendo system because you got an eight. No, <laughs> no. Not quite the celebration I was looking for there. <laughs> just, like, just simple in the daily life, like learning to speak 
this way to one another. Mm-hmm. And the last thing is to not, it, it's in that same thread. Um, and I have really, like, I have tracked the behavioral data on this with some clients before that the greatest reinforcer is your presence and your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, just like us before the father, we want to know that God the father is looking at us and Emmanuel, that God is with us. And so I think sometimes parents, because you don't believe in yourselves, um, you just don't believe in yourselves and believe in your goodness and um, the love that your children have for you and the importance that you have in their lives. And so sometimes you will trade the authority and the enthronement, right? That God has given to you for like things and activities and and just to not uh, not let yourselves be robbed of that, but to know that like the greatest gift is you. <laughs> is you. Wow, mm-hmm. man! I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this, not just because I have to edit it, but also <laughs> because I think man, those are worth paying on. Yeah, and I I think something that just just stood out to me so much was this like speaking the truth of who your children are into them. And that's such a, I think it's a core desire of all of us, right? For, for God, the father to speak that into us of who, who am I? Do I have what it takes? Am I beloved or cherished or worth anything? Right. And now, and to be able to speak those truths into your children. So now when the world assaults them, they go, no, that's not, that's not me. That's not who I am. Yeah. Um, and, and man, like, I, I don't know if you could ever do that enough, you know? Uh, I don't think you can. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm, my favorite place to do that often with like, especially my daughters is like, as they're falling asleep, I guess it was my son when he was younger too, but like, there is something I will say that is the quickest path to getting my children to rest. Mm. is often when I like lay there and I'm just like, you're a gift from God to me. Like, I'm so grateful Mm. for your generosity. I am so grateful for your kindness. I am so grateful that I get to be your mom. Mm. And like, I can just watch right now. This is our four-year-old, her like body relax. And like, ah, okay, mom, like (laughs) I can go to sleep now. Like you can go work on putting other children to sleep. Um, (laughs) But this like just gift that it brings to her. And so thank you for affirming that. Thank you for saying that. And we should go to lightning round. Sister, do you have any any other final thoughts before we go to the lightning round? I don't. I just, I love what you just said about telling them they're a gift. So we teach a a grade school theology of the body curriculum at St. Gregory. And it has all of that in it, like that you are a gift. And when we started, I'll ask the kids, like, raise your hand if you've ever been told you're a gift. And a couple hands will go up. And when we finish, it's raise your hand if you've ever been told you're a gift. And it's all the hands go up. And so it's like, objective achieved, you know? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Just for kids to know that they're a gift and not a burden. Yeah. Yeah. To go back to the whole, we have a story and the Lord wants wants your life in that story. He like, you are a gift to this world and discerning, like, what did you make me for Lord? As you talked about earlier in this interview, like I'll tie in back together on, oh, you are a gift. What did you make me for Lord? And that we need to pray that over ourselves, but also our children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. All right. Thank you. Lightning. <laughs> Here we go. Question number one, fast and furious. Uh, who is your favorite saint? I can't say one. So 
Pope John Paul II, Josephine Bakita, St. Joseph, and St. Therese. <laughs> oh, those are all so good. Um, what, what is your favorite devotion? Eucharistic adoration. Mm -hmm. I, asked for, I asked to have, during my year of preparation for final vows, I asked to be able to have like private exposition every night. <laughs> It's my favorite version, yeah. Mm, nice. <laughs> just, uh, just me and Jesus time. That's yeah. legit. Uh, okay. What is your favorite book recommendation? Maybe your like favorite or one that you recommend the most? Like to who? Like for families or, or just me personally? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to be a counselor nerd and say I just really wish more people would read The Body Keeps the Score. I'll say that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. More adults. It's, not, it's for kids. Not for kids. It's for adults. Yeah. yeah. I like it. And then last, where can people find out more about you, what you have going on, any projects? I think I post the most about the projects on Instagram. So I'm on Instagram. Uh, I think it's SR underscore Josephine, but I'm always real bad about that. We'll put it, we'll put it, we'll put it down below. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, well, Sister Josephine, thank you so much for all of our listeners. Um, we really pray that this time uh, is your link to living the faith like never before. Um, we'll leave all of the resources. Check out Sister Josephine's new book and all of the stuff that she has going on. It is so amazing. I feel like we could just talk to her yeah. for hours. Um, but again, sister, thank you so much for coming thank on the show. You. We really, really thank appreciate you. it. Have a blessing in my day. Thank you. Uh, thank you. All right. Um, until next time, we're praying for you. God bless. God bless.